0: good morning you hear me okay get my little lights on here get all set up we have had a busy weekend Uh, Friday night we had a youth group come over to Alicia and I's house and uh, we had a Lego party and uh, Leah did a great job putting together a little Devo and a meal and we just had a fun time together then Saturday we spent most of the day together too. We had 45 people show up for our work day, and uh, what great fellowship! So thank you for everyone who worked so hard at that. Uh, those woods are looking about as good as I've ever seen them. Some of the scraggly trees went down and brush get cleaned up. And so uh, if you want to go h- take a look back there, now is a good time to do it. And then uh, today, this afternoon, we have a fundraiser dinner for. Uh, Round Lake Christian Camp. So if you can attend that and give a little bit to help support that good work, that's been a blessing to a lot of young people through the years, a lot of older people as well. So this morning we are continuing our series in John and we will be in the 10th chapter looking at uh, Jesus and this whole narrative about him being the good shepherd so let's go ahead and start in verse, in verse 1 of chapter 10. I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. So in our text this morning, we're going to be talking about issues relating to discernment and being able to recognize the shepherd's voice. Uh, we recognize the shepherd by the sound of his voice and we also recognize him by the way he comes in. He's not climbing over the wall in some kind of illegal entry. So first off, think of the gate as the doorway to your heart that is mentioned in this text in John chapter 10. And think of the way that Jesus comes to you in your life. How does he approach you? Typically, Jesus, when he comes, he is gentle. He does not force his way in. Rather, he draws us out. He woos us. He gently calls to us. He invites us. He longs to be with us. He longs to spend time with us. Then think about how others have come to you in your life. It's more like a forced entry sometimes. A forced agenda. There's something unnatural about it. We feel that there's something not quite right. Uh, We feel coerced. We feel manipulated. You sense some kind of hidden agenda in the background as you're being pushed along. In other words, something about a forced encounter, it's setting off your spidey senses. There's something not quite right with this, for those of you who have spidey senses. (laughs) The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls out his own sheep by name and leads them out, and when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them. And his sheep follow him because they know his voice. About sheep following him. About sheep following the shepherd. You know, one of the things that is an important lesson for us is to learn how to be led. We all expect, you know, in our culture that to do anything, to step out and do anything, you have to do it as an expert. From playing musical instruments to works of art, and otherwise it's not any good, it's not worth anything. When you preach a sermon, it has to be amazing, better than Calvin, before you even say a word. Not that my sermons are so amazing, but uh, I feel like I do pretty good sometimes. (laughs) So learning how to be led, it flies in the face of our culture and where we are at in this culture. It flies in the face of the wisdom of this culture that says you need to be self-sufficient. You need to do everything perfectly. We never need to depend on anyone for anything. That is a cardinal virtue, virtue of the American people. Never depend on anyone for anything. Because we all want to be strong, capable people, and we jump in and we just take care of things ourselves. It goes easier when we do it ourselves. And in our efficiency, a lot of times we've not done a good job discipling those who are following after us. Discipling those following after us by showing and modeling that we ourselves need to be led, that we ourselves need to be shepherded. And so we've not always done a good job placing real responsibility on our children's shoulders or giving them the freedom to make their own choices and the freedom to make their own mistakes. And then when they fail, come alongside of them and showing them how to do things better. And in the seasons of life, we have different, different ages that we are journeying uh, together. Uh, we have different challenges. I think about one of the challenges of life in the later years is we have always been strong and capable and we've taken care of ourselves and we've been sufficient and we've done things on our own. And the time is coming when you're going to need help. When you're going to have to depend on other people in ways you never wanted to have to depend on other people. Our bodies get weak. Our jobs are too difficult. They stack up. And we are ashamed to let ourselves be helped. Or we are ashamed to let ourselves be led out For the disciple of Jesus Christ, the goal of the Christian life is not to become self-sufficient, doing everything ourselves in our own power. Rather, we are called to be dependent on Jesus. We are called to be open, needing and depending on each other, doing things together like we do in a family and still our wonderful shepherd he calls out to us in every season of life he goes ahead of us he's calling to us jesus when he calls us he calls us to take up certain things and he calls us to let go of certain things And we become willing to follow him because we recognize his voice. He goes ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. So a big question for us is how do you recognize the voice of Jesus? How do you recognize Jesus' voice? Well, the Bible talks a lot about this. These are different ways that God addresses people in the scriptures. First, we hear f- uh, from God through a phenomenon, plus a voice. When uh, God made a covenant with Abraham, there was a phenomenon. Remember, Abraham separates these animals for a sacrifice. God comes, a smoking firepot, or these flames come, and they consume the sacrifice, and he hears the voice of the Lord. A phenomenon plus a voice would be, um, uh, there's so many in scripture, a burning bush and a voice from the Lord saying, take off your sandals for this is holy ground. A phenomenon plus a voice, uh, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, a dove descending from heaven, the spirit in the form of a dove. Uh, another one, Paul, Saul in his conversion, he sees what? A phenomena of a blinding light. And then hearing the voice of the Lord, why do you persecute me? So God comes to us that way. Second, a supernatural messenger or an angel, an adversary, emissary from the Lord who comes and speaks to us. Scripture talks about Jesus or God communicating to his people through dreams and visions. We are a part of the church as Gentiles because of a vision that Peter received. You think about that. Because we kind of think of our dreams and visions as just kind of like hokey and out there. But God works through those. An audible voice. uh, Throughout the scripture, this is witnessed to as well. God also speaks to us through other humans sometimes. That we hear the word of the Lord through other human voices. And finally, we also hear the voice of the Lord uh, through what Elijah talked about. As a still small voice. And when we're calm and we're in a place of listening, the Holy Spirit nudges us and whispers things to us. And He helps direct us and guides us. So let me flush this out a little bit more. So, the primary way that we hear from the Lord is always going to include Scripture. Scripture is our ground level and our foundation from hearing the voice of God. And if we think we hear the voice of God and it does not align with the truth of Scripture, we are hearing wrong. Scripture is a tool to teach us how to, what God is like, what His voice is like, how to love God well. But we also experience the voice of God communicating through us to us through other means, like creation. Have you ever felt that way about creation? Something just so amazing and beautiful, and I'm told that this is a culture that loves the outdoors here in Oregon, and I'm told that Uh, In the coming months, attendance will be more sporadic, our giving goes down, because everyone's outside (laughs) enjoying the outdoors, experiencing God through creation. We experience God through the promptings in our own spirit, an idea that's placed in our mind, the still small voice communicating something to us, dreams and visions, other people You know, God comes to us in so many different ways. This is just a number that I thought of on my own. Uh, Sometimes in a hymn or song lyric. Our brother Don Casey, who just passed recently, he experienced the Lord through the hymns that he loved to sing. Church life, when we share the Lord's Supper baptism the different things that would even work days out there that communicate something of the beauty of our lord active in his body as they are serving and working together sometimes the voice of the lord comes to us in circumstances an unexpected invitation an opportunity some financial provision an outstanding debt that's been forgiven Sometimes the voice of the Lord communicates to us that way. And then directly through our senses, the things that we th- see or hear or taste and touch through creative arts. And I didn't list very many here because there are so many, literature, films, art, architecture. And then another one that we tend to not think of as a form of communication, but it is, is Silence. Sometimes the absence of God and the silence of God communicates something to us as well. And we learn in that place of silence. So John chapter 10 verse five says, they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize the stranger's voice. So, those different things that I, how do we hear his voice? You look at those and think about those. And if it's coming to you in another way, in a tone that's forced and coerced, you think about that. That's not the voice of the Lord. I'm not saying the Lord doesn't convict of sin. I'm saying, like, when the Lord comes to us, he doesn't just blanket condemn you. You worthless piece of. Whatever. A broad condemnation. No. The Lord comes to us in loving ways and when he convicts of sin, it's for a specific sin. And he calls us to something else. He is firm. But he also knows how to be gentle. He knows exactly what we need and when we need it. Because... Jesus Christ is the good shepherd. So how do we protect the flock? How do we protect our own selves, our families, uh, our church, from wolves that come into our midst, from broken people with broken lives who do broken things, from hidden sin existing in our very midst, Because there are wolves, and there are thieves, and there are robbers. But the primary way that this flock will be protected is if we lean so far into Jesus Christ that we will know the voice of God. If you want to know if something's counterfeit or not, or if it's real, you don't spend time studying other fakes. You study the real thing. Have you ever heard about that? If you wanted to and f- uh, uh, learn what a forgery looks like, you have to know the original so well that suddenly it just becomes obvious what is, a, what is something off a little bit, what is a fabrication. And the problem is there are a lot of counterfeit voices out there claiming to have everything that we need in this life. And we are constantly falling for these voices. We listen to them so easily because these voices promise that we can have everything we desire and still be the ones calling all the shots your way right away. I am the captain of my own ship. I forge my own destiny. I don't need anyone for anything. I've got this. Thank you very much. And then we're miserable, receiving everything we think by our own hands. We are receiving all of these things and we are enjoying them less and less. And we find that we are more and more isolated and lonely. And we find ourselves slaves to our own desires that dominate us, slaves to our own sins that dominate us but if you let yourselves be led by the good shepherd if we give up our schemes and our ideas and our agendas and just follow hard the voice of the shepherd you will be protected you will be able to tell what's real and what's fake and when the false voices come, you will run away from them. Because you know the voice of your shepherd. The real voice of the shepherd says difficult things sometimes. Like this few words from Luke 14 33 Any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Give up everything you have. Notice that Jesus doesn't say, I won't let you be my disciple. He says, you can't be my disciple. When we try to do things our own way, when we hold back, when I've got this, until full surrender comes. And we learn full surrender throughout the course of our life and what that means. We trust, we trust, but God calls for everything. He wants our heart He wants our very selves. He says, he doesn't say, I won't let you be my disciples. He says, you can't be my disciples in the same way that driving to Mexico does not help me arrive in Canada. They're two different things. They're two different directions. The scripture isn't telling us that we shouldn't have anything. It's teaching us something about our priorities. The Lord is over our wealth. He is over our need for power, our need for love, our need for security, our, our own sexuality. And until we make Jesus Christ Lord in truth, really surrendering to him, we are going to fall for counterfeit voices sometimes. says, Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. You see, these Jewish leaders are having a hard time understanding Jesus because they refuse to be led by him, thus proving that they are not a part of the flock. It's the same with us. When we read from verses like Luke 14, 33, Uh, about giving up everything to follow Jesus, I guarantee that most of us, or at least every one of us at some time or another, have had some resistance to that. We don't hear well and we don't understand when we don't like the content of what Jesus is saying. When we fear what God might be asking of us, we don't listen very well. So Jesus continues and he goes on using another, but a different but related metaphor. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. As we pass through Jesus Christ, pass through the door, the gate of Jesus Christ, we enter into the green pastures of the kingdom of heaven. We enter into the abundance of the heart of God. As we pass through the gateway of Jesus Christ, we discover a life without lack. A life that has everything I need and so much so uh, that it's, it's not even possible for me to want anything else. And so as Jesus is speaking these words, he's thinking of words that he spoke earlier through his servant David in the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. Green pastures. In contrast to the good shepherd, there's the thief. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That's the interest of the thief. Jesus' heart is different. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full measure. Fullness of life, abundant cup overflowing life this isn't just squeaking by kind of life this isn't hanging on by your toenails kind of life the promise is for rich and abundant life see a lot of us we tend to think of God as somehow holding back on us as keeping the best goodies in life from us But you know the truth is, the people who have the fullest lives, the funnest lives, the most joy-filled lives, the greatest depth of peace, they're the ones who are most fully surrendered to the Lord. People don't know how much fun I have. I'm a joy-filled person because I've put my life into the hands of Jesus Christ. And when we do that, as we progressively learn how to do that and do that better, oh my goodness, it's so much fun. (laughs) It's a fun thing. See, God is not curmudgeonly. He's not holding back like we think. He does direct, but it's always for our own good and our benefit. You see, we're not museum curators here of a dusty old book of rules, the Bible. The Bible, the scriptures that God gives us, the rules and the laws, it's more like we are on the adventure of a lifetime and we've been given a map and he's leading us to pile of treasure after pile of treasure. And we just just keep on discovering things. And there's no limit to it. It just gets richer and deeper and more beautiful. The thief says, you need to take care of yourself first. The thief says, there isn't enough to go around. The thief says, your way is best. The thief says, God really doesn't care about you. The thief says, God is holding back on you. And when we listen to this voice, and when we say things like, this this money is mine, this stuff is mine, I want my needs met. I want sex my way, on my schedule, for my fulfillment. Whatever it is. When it's all about my needs being met and my desires. In the end, you will discover that you have believed a lie. We are killed. Our stuff is stolen. Our life is destroyed. Because the thief comes to kill kill, steal, and destroy. And already we have read in John chapter 8 that the thief, the enemy, he's a liar. When he lies, he's speaking his native tongue, John tells us. But instead, when we go all in for Jesus, when we put it all at the foot of the cross... The irony is, we become free. And most of the things that we are so worried about anyway, God gives them back to us to be enjoyed fully and in truth. Because God is generous. We worry about all these things. What will you eat or what will you drink or what will you wear? Jesus says, your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Don't worry about that, but seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well, because because our God is generous. He wants to give to us. Jesus comes to us so that we may have life and have it to the full extent. when Jesus is speaking and telling these, 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 this story of the Good Shepherd, he's also had to have been thinking about all of these verses that talk about this in the Old Testament. The, Psalm, the 23rd Psalm uh, in Isaiah. Ezekiel 34, it's uh, the prophecy coming from Ezekiel. He's berating the shepherds of Israel, the religious leaders of the people who had slaughtered the choice animals clothing themselves in fine wool and failing to look after the flock. In Ezekiel 34, it is said, You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. That's something that good shepherds do. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. In contrast to those who really care nothing for the sheep, the Good Shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the Good Shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen I must bring them also they too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd so this is something communicated here to us about the universal scope of the mission of God you see God's mission was bigger than just the Jewish people it includes us Gentiles from every religion, every race, every tribe, every tongue. Entry into the kingdom of God is based on something bigger than ethnicity or circumcision or full understanding and keeping of the law. In the face of the Good Shepherd, Jesus Christ, humanity now is just separated into two camps. Two camps those who listen to the voice of the shepherd and those who don't. And if you are among those who listen to the voice of the shepherd, none of the previous methods we use to measure life will suffice any longer. Because it's not about wealth or education or gender or ethnicity or nationality or even religion. It's all about faith in Jesus Christ. Do you listen to the voice of the Good Shepherd? The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again no one takes it from me but I lay it down of my own accord I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again this command I receive from my father far from being accidental Jesus's death is precisely what qualifies him to be our good shepherd and this doesn't leave the flock exposed because as sheep follow the Lamb of God So we become good shepherds ourselves. We learn to lay down our lives for the good of the flock of Jesus. And also notice that in this text, it's not the evil of the devil or the Jewish leaders that kills Jesus, but rather Jesus dies because of his wholehearted love and devotion and trust in the Father. And his love for the sheep. Jesus chooses to lay down his life. He does not resist the evil that is done to him. But he undoes evil through his perfect love and his perfect trust that my Father is going to take care of me. And my Father is going to take care of all of humanity through me. That unwavering trust in God undoes evil. Well, these guys have a hard time listening to this. At these words the Jews were again divided. Many of them said, He's demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, These are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of a bl- of the blind? You see again, the people, these leaders, all the people that Jesus comes in contact with—they're trying to put a label on Jesus. They're trying to categorize him, understand him, because if you can put a, if they can put a sl- sticker on him, he's just a blasphemer. He's just this. It makes him easy, easier to dismiss. We just can turn and walk away then. But the actions and the words of Jesus—they defy their out-of-hand dismissal of him their labels, they just don't stick. No one else talks like Jesus. No one else does the things that Jesus does. So now they they talk about that some time passes here. And then came the feast of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter and Jesus was in the temple area walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews gathered around him saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. So some time has passed again, and it's winter time now. Uh, The Feast of Dedication, I think we probably know that uh, as Hanukkah. And uh, uh, it was a rededicating of the temple after uh, pagan rulers had sacrificed pigs on the altar and the temple and things like that. And it's in the... uh, The first I think a couple hundred years before Jesus's time around 160 BC or something like that I don't know the exact dates but the 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 temple is defiled the Jewish people revolt they get control of the temple again they rededicate it and so this is a fairly new uh, celebration that the Jewish people have compared to you know Passover or other things like that So they say, uh, how long are you going to keep us in suspense, Jesus? If you really are the Christ, if you really are the Messiah, would you please just tell us plainly? It is the winter. And people are still undecided about who Jesus is. And they don't know what to do with him still. And so they're like, stop all the the sideways slant talk and all these stories you're telling. Just tell us plainly. Make it clear. So Jesus answers them. I did tell you, but you do not believe. I did tell you, but you're you're not able to hear. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. See, it's hard for them to see Jesus as Messiah because Jesus does not come in power like a political or a military leader and even the miracles that Jesus does he does them to the wrong people he's healing these people who are of whose lives are of little account of little value and he's multiplying things like bread and fish instead of swords and chariots and his the miracles that he does he doesn't even do them at the right time He does them on the Sabbath when you're not supposed to be doing miracles. (laughs) And the idea of a Messiah who would be a suffering servant, it was not a popular idea. It was not a popular idea back then, it's still not a popular idea now. And it's even less popular, the idea that he calls us to be suffering servants as well. He calls us to be good shepherds as well. And it's well more than most people can stomach. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospel will find it. You see, there will always be plenty of people who will refuse the lordship of Jesus Christ. And they will run from Jesus as Lord for as long as they possibly can. But there will always as well be some who listen to the voice of the Good Shepherd. And those who listen to Jesus, they will have eternal life and there's no power that can snatch them away from the hands of Jesus. When you are in the hands of your God, And you've given your life to him. There is no other power that can take that away from you. Again, the Jews picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I've shown you many great miracles from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We're not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. All right, this is interesting again. I don't know uh, how many times this has happened, uh, but, you know, this stoning thing, they would think that they would figure out, this this just doesn't work out very well for us. How many times have they tried to stone Jesus now in John's gospel? (laughs) About as many times as they've tried to seize Jesus or grab him, and they can't get a hold of him. They can't quite get a hold of Jesus ever. So you would think they would figure this out by now. And this is interesting. They're in the temple. So where do the stones come from? I don't know. So uh, at any rate, maybe they had a, a Pharisee who was like, oh, Jesus is over there talking. We're going to listen to him. I better bring some stones along. He sounds the stuff he says is a little fishy. And he's going he's to cross the line one of these times. And we're going to be ready. Here, take your stone. Hold it here. Take it. I don't know how they got all the stones, but there's always seemed to be plenty of stones around to stone people. That's kind of an aside. I don't know why I talked about all that, but anyway. So at any rate, they, they have this idea. They want to stone Jesus, and Jesus is like, for what? what are you stoning me for? For which miraculous thing that I've done are you going to do this? So Jesus goes on, and he says, is it not written in your law? I have said, you are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, what about the one whom the Father sent, set apart as his very own and sent into the world? You know, you and I are fearfully and wonderfully made. We have all of this free will that we have been given you have something very beautiful and precious about you see all of us in some way or another bear the image of God and that image is glorious and it's buried in there a lot of us it's the treasure inside the jar of clay this image of God And if that itself is glorious and beautiful, how much much more so the one who comes to us and cleans us off and pulls that image of God out from us and shines us up and makes us beautiful. How much more so the one who comes to take away all the filth so that we can be reconciled to God Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy? Because I said, I am the Son of God, or God's Son. Do not believe me unless I do what the Father does. But if I do it, even though you do not believe me, believe the miracles, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I in the Father. Again, they tried to seize him. But he escaped their grasp. And here we are given another discernment tool as well. Another thing that helps us hear the voice of Jesus. Jesus says, don't believe me unless I'm actually doing the work that God does. And you recognize the work of God in people's lives by the fruit we produce. Jesus says, by their fruit you will recognize them. By fruit, think about the fruits of the Spirit, the effects of the Spirit in our life. But in this circumstance, Jesus says, if you don't want to believe my words, fine. At least pay attention to the miracles. The miracles prove the words. The miracles and the words prove that God and Jesus, they are one. Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. And here he stayed, and many people came to him. They said, though John never performed a miraculous sign, all that John said about this man was true. And in that place, many believed in Jesus. (coughs) So you see what's happening here. Jesus' ministry now, it's come full circle. And he comes back to the place it all began with John the Baptist. The seasons of Jesus' ministry have been fulfilled the spring, the summer, the fall. And just as we read, it was winter time. Now it is the winter time of Jesus' ministry. In the hidden music of John's Gospel, Jesus's ministry is almost finished. And those with the humility to see it, they recognize John's testimony about Jesus, John the Baptist, his testimony about Jesus. It's true. Everything he said about this man, it's true. And even amidst all the confusion, all the opposition, all the people who don't believe, people are still longing for the good shepherd. They still desire a good shepherd in their lives. And so they put their faith in Jesus. So to close this morning, I just wanted to say a few words about shepherding. Because it's something that's important to me. I've loved being a missionary for the Lord's Church, traveling to Africa, I gave the strength of my youth to ministry there. I have loved being a minister of the Lord's Church. I've loved everything I have ever done to help serve the Lord's Church. But ever since I was a boy, I remember when my dad was installed as an elder up in a church in Olympia, Washington, Boulevard Church of Christ. I remember that. And I knew even as a young man that someday by God's grace, I wanted to do that as well. I wanted to be an elder in the Lord's Church. So shepherding souls is a particular desire of mine, and there's a couple things that I'd like to share about things I've I've learned this morning. First, in order to grow up fully in Christ Jesus, we need to help. We need the help of others. We need spiritual fathers and mothers who show us the way. People who help us realize our potential because they trust us and they see the gifts that God has placed in us before we can see it for ourselves. Those who are the best shepherds. Shepherding is something we're all called to do in this flock because it's the process of discipleship. The best disciplers, disciple makers, are the ones who can see realities in us that we don't even fully see or believe ourselves and they encourage us and they call those things out of us they trust us and we realize our full potential second shepherds care deeply for those entrusted to them but let me say caring is not coddling sometimes shepherding involves firmness in the same way that true love requires firmness it's all about helping people to make clear choices are you really listening to the voice of the good shepherd good shepherding always directs us back there the 23rd psalm your rod and your staff they comfort me rods and staffs are used to help correct and guide and protect sometimes discipline Third, shepherding is about caring for those who are weak, lost, and in need. It is about presence. It's about investing in people. It's about love and support. And in this sense, shepherds are needed as much today as they were in Jesus' time to love people and guide them to greater life. It was said about our Lord and our God himself. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to where? Close to his heart. And he gently leads those who have young. Our invitation this morning is what's is it going to be for you, the next step? to listening to the voice of the Good Shepherd the next step for you in trusting him the next thing you need to surrender into his hands I don't know what that's gonna look like for each of you if you know if you've got things in your life that you're not sure about and you think I probably need to let go if you have trouble discerning a voice that you want this but it says this I'm not sure about this come and find me I'm your minister and I want to make myself available to you because I love it when we wake up to recognizing and hearing the voice of the good shepherd let me help serve you in that way otherwise there's an open door here anytime you need it for the prayers of this church to put on the Lord in baptism Uh, whatever you need you can come forward and share that with me as we stand and sing together